2: Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press, focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and producer. Joining me this week are two guys vying to become the next president of Michigan State University. It's Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch and Detroit Free Press Michigan State b writer Chris Lari. Graham, how you doing today?
1: Ah, I, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I would uh, I would not be a good president. <laughs> I would I would say some things that would. Uh, yeah, no, I'll just leave it there. Okay. I would. Uh, <laughs> you,
2: you think you'd ruffle too many feathers?
1: Yeah, for sure. I would. I would play my cards a certain way. I might bring out some Oppo research on the board of trustees just to make sure they left me alone. <laughs>
2: well, I think I, I think that's the right play,
0: Chris. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm doing okay, and
0: I can't agree with Graham more about that. He would be completely ill qualified for that. <laughs>
1: now, now, hey, there are other if, suggestions. If,
0: if Tom Izzo retires, I mean, he's offered him his whiffle before, so I think that makes him plenty qualified for that.
1: I was going to say there have been other suggestions on who should be the president today that are probably uh, less a fit than me, but that's we'll leave that there.
2: Huh. We'll we'll stay in the sports arena for for this week's podcast, and maybe maybe in the future we'll we'll delve uh, elsewhere. But uh, let's turn our focus to the Michigan State football team, which uh, continues to lose in uh, horrific fashion after getting predictably uh, blown out by. Ohio State last week and uh, coming up on Saturday we have what I think might be one of the few winnable games for Michigan State left on the schedule in Wisconsin and it's also homecoming so it should, it should be a raucous weekend and we'll see what the fan turnout looks like but uh, so let's turn our attention to the Badgers uh, let me start with you Chris um, I mean what can we say that we haven't it feels like we're just a broken record here every week I don't know if we have said if we have anything new to say that we haven't already said at, at some point here, so I want to ask you, Chris. Well, I mean, what, what should we be looking for this week? What's what's the talking point?
0: Well, obviously, the talking point is: Can MSU run the ball, and can MSU's defense stop the run and the pass? Um, because it's been a trend during this streak where they're not they're not stopping the run as, as well. I mean, they've given up. They gave up two hundred and thirty-seven yards to the Buckeyes last week. They gave up two forty to Minnesota. Um, You know, they've been giving up, I think, three of the last four quarterbacks have thrown for 300 plus. Um, And then on the other side, on the other side, MSU has, I think, run the ball uh, for about 187 yards in four games. Um, You're not going to win many football games like that. And the fixes aren't very easy. Um, Mel Tucker said that. I think pretty much every one of his assistants has said that. Players have said that. Uh, but they still have the belief that they can get it done. You know, you mentioned about it being maybe one of the the more winnable games. I mean, it essentially right now, if if you just look at it how it's been playing out, it comes down to a four game season for MSU to get a bowl with birth. They gotta they gotta run the table with this week against Wisconsin. They gotta win at Illinois and they gotta take care of the final two home games against Rutgers and Indiana. I mean, that's ultimately the play because it doesn't seem like the the other two games with Michigan and uh, and Penn State uh, are are really attainable right now with the the problems that they have.
2: Yeah, and the thing that's hilarious, of course, is that of course those four schools you just mentioned, all of them are viewing Michigan State as as their winnable game too. So yeah. it's going to be quite the jousting well, match it, here over the remainder it, of the there's season. There's
1: an argument that Michigan State's the worst team in the Big Ten right now. I mean, Michigan State just got to get a win. They're I mean, they're statistically they're in Big Ten games. They're they're the worst pass defense and worst rush defense in the Big Ten, and it's it's not really close. Now, not everybody's played Ohio State yet, right? You got to be fair about that. Right. And if you played Iowa, you know, your defense may feel okay about itself statistically, and you're not really that good. So, I mean, everything's relative to who you played a little bit, but um, yeah, I think this is a, a a massive game because it, Chris, it feels to me like this is. And it's just one game, but it feels like potentially the difference between spending the rest of the year competing for bowl eligibility and what will otherwise be three and nine or two and 10. And so if you win it, not only do you feel better about yourselves going into a bye week and you got some time to heal up. Obviously, Michigan, that game may not go well, but you know, you you've faced long odds in that game before and, and things are yeah. going okay. So you won't, there will be some muscle memory in, in, in beating them. But and, and you'll have a little bit better feeling about yourself and you'll also have a win you'll also have a third win on the season and and things things all of a sudden don't seem quite so bad yeah if you, I... lose, it, if you lose it though then you know i mean just the chances that you're you're not playing for anything the rest of the way in terms of the postseason and the chances that you're going in november with uh six straight defeats is is almost certain and, and illinois is playing really well right now and then it looks like two empty stadium games against Indiana and Rutgers just to find one more win somewhere in the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think the schedule the way, as it is, just looking at this, you know, I, we say that about the, this Wisconsin game. Um, obviously that, you know, let's say Michigan State loses to Wisconsin and now has a five-game losing streak going to Michigan. You know, still, you can make it up. You can make up that game at Michigan because, you know, we've seen many times – Where you throw out the rivalry, throw out the issues, throw out uh, the problems that Michigan State has had in years where the rivalry and the bitterness and the venom uh, translates into a victory. Um, And, you know, which would, at that point, change the course of what's left over those final four games. I mean, you've got. You know, obviously, and again, this is all getting too far ahead because there's Wisconsin, and then there's the bye week, and then there's the Michigan game. So we got a lot of time to talk about that coming up, uh, so I don't want to jump too far into it. But, at I mean, it, it's cliche to say that it's the biggest game of the season at the moment, but to be honest, it is with where they've been with the losing streak.
2: Yeah, not only is this losing streak, you know, affecting the team at the moment, it's affecting their recruiting, as we saw one of their other big-time recruits, uh, Clay Wetted, an offensive lineman, uh, decommit this week, too. So, you know, we've talked about on previous podcast where, you know, the key to all this, even if this ends up being a, a down season for the Spartans, is they've got to stay on their recruiting track, and that's at least two, if not three, uh, verbal commits that they've lost already, high, you know, high-ranking high, high ranking ones as well.
0: Yeah, it's three um, in this class, and, you know, a lot of people are speculating there could be more. A lot of people are also saying that, you the losing streak probably didn't have anything to do with the Whedon thing, but, you know, kids aren't, kids aren't blind. I mean, they don't just only see the the flyers and tweets that you send that are personalized. I mean, they get, they see everything. And, you know, there were a lot of recruits on the field in that game on Saturday against Ohio State and saw the disparity between the two programs, saw the empty seats by the third quarter. Also weird that there were, you know, a, a, in some ways, spartan stadium sometimes ends up like dodger stadium where it's like people show up in like the middle or late first quarter or early second quarter and are gone by the third quarter um which i don't know if that's i don't know if that's a fan situation or the university with their their entry policies if that's still causing some some issues i know it has in the past but but that was there were pockets that were at kickoff weren't exactly uh all that great but yeah i mean but these kids see this and you know and the coaches understand that they have to keep recruiting guys all the way up to the december signing period which regardless of wins or losses you got to do anyways but especially when you have this kind of a streak and skid going right now
1: yeah and and, uh, look i think the crowd this weekend will be fascinating because it's homecoming you you ought to have a big crowd to start you'll have a crowd that wants to cheer about something, they want to support MSU, and if MSU can give them something early, some success offensively, something defensively that's okay, I, I and show them it's going to be a game. I think it'll be a good crowd and a good atmosphere and a good good day, so to speak. But the the flip side of that is things start to go wrong. I think at this point things will get surly, and the vibe will turn surly, and you'll hear some boos, and that will, and, and you know, look, these are nineteen to twenty year old, twenty two year old kids, and and that's part of the problem. You may be booing, you know. Jay Johnson or Scotty Hazleton or Mel Tucker, but you're also booing a 20 year old and that's the way they take it. You know, so, um, that, that, and that tension can, can impact, um, can impact the game. I, the, the, the recruiting thing is, is also, um, is, is also fascinating. Cause I, I, I think so much it's going to potentially change and be, or at least be in flux throughout this, next three months and not just negatively for MSU for a lot of teams. One of the things Mel Tucker talked to us before the season, Chris, you remember he, he talked about just the, the number of uh, NIL deals that may not be exactly what athletes think they're getting. And some of that's going to start to come home to roost. And there will be a lot, there will be kids out there, pretty high ranking recruits who think they've been misled and lied to, or didn't even really want to be someplace, but it was the most money or whatever. And, now that doesn't look real, and they'll be available. And so, somebody like Tucker and, and MSU's program, who I think has done a good job of selling kids on what is and being pretty upfront with them, when kids are looking for somebody to trust, they may be there to, to, to you know, win some of those kids at the end too. Um, so this class could look, you know, could look very different. But uh, yeah, that that's got to be as big a focus as what's happening on the field week to week this season. And
0: I think right now, I mean, because you, you mentioned that, I mean, that's going to in some ways open up things with the portal in the future with some, some kids like that. But I, I think from what Mel Tucker has said, you know, he wants to become more traditional in terms of recruiting high school kids, particularly the high-end kids. Um, You know, I think what we're seeing right now is not, and this isn't MSU-centric, I think it's, it it's only magnified just simply because Tucker went so deep and hard into the portal his first couple of years, but it's not program building it. What that's meant to do is fill gaps. And unfortunately for Tucker his staff and, and, you know, for the team, um, the filling of the gaps has oftentimes like particularly at safety meant, well, now you've got a couple division two transfers in there. Um, You've got guys that, you know, are, you were hoping would be quality depth and backups now, uh, you know becoming starters um you've lost guys the the positions you recruited through the portal and are left still with the high school kids that you had brought in um particularly at defensive end with the injuries going on right now so yeah it's not a it, it you know I, I, we're seeing a lot of things in real time the nil i think is one i think the portal is another um where those course corrections end up it's hard to say um but but yeah there there certainly as as tomiso would say there have been a lot of unintended consequences that that michigan state in particular has seen with the portal's situation um not necessarily being uh a, a kenneth walker at every turn
2: yeah the portal is super easy when you when you find you know the uh, maxwell award winner or what the whatever awards he won last year uh <laughs> being, you still have to, and being underused hey, at Wake
0: Forest. <laughs> you you still have to find that. Yeah. You still have to find those guys and you Listen, credit this staff for for having the the ability to go out and identify off the radar kids uh like Kendall Brooks and like Justin White who are probably going to start at, at the safety spot this week um because they're they're necessary for depth but they're also a play away from from getting in there so um, those two guys combined for twenty one tackles last week, which doesn't you know that's it's good tackling ability, but it also shows that they're being targeted. um no question about that. as is Michigan's all of Michigan states past defense, the two cornerbacks that were transfers and in speed and and Williams now in a reserve role um the safety. so yeah, it's uh, you know it's 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 dramatically different than what many people thought we would see from the defense at the beginning of the year thanks to the injuries, but also uh, some of those depth, you know, the depth guys becoming starters uh, changes things, and and they need to get up to speed in a hurry.
1: Yeah, and I I also think that, you know, it would be very interesting to see Taiwan, uh, uh, I'm blanking, uh, right now it would be Darquez Denard and um, who's the guy who's opposite?
0: Trey Waynes?
1: Trey Waynes. Got Taiwan Jones in my head right now, but uh, (laughs) I don't want him playing corner. But the, um, if if those two guys playing press corner with this pass rush, I'm not sure everybody in the world wouldn't hate them too. Uh Like it is, yeah, yeah, nobody, I remember Deion Sanders once said, like, nobody's supposed to cover for more than two and a half, three seconds. And like Michigan State just doesn't get home. They've got two sacks in the last four games and fairly cheapos at that and and just not you know they blitz and they don't get there they don't they don't do they just don't get there and and so this week will be compelling because graham mertz um is a quarterback that can can actually give your defense some confidence um but he's as much as any quarterback his success is based on how comfortable he is and how little pressure he faces he saw no pressure against northwestern last week he threw five touchdowns 299 yards looked very good and they've got some weapons the rest of the year, he's you know at about fifty-five percent completions, averaging about one hundred and forty-two yards, and he's thrown as many touchdowns as interceptions. I think for each. So, like, but you have to not let him be comfortable. You have to get home. They have to find at all costs this week. Really, I mean, you look, if you blitz eleven and you he completes it and you score, so be it. Because otherwise, they're just going to score anyway. It just may take another minute. Like, MSU is going to have to get to the point against certain guys where they have to get home, and that has to be the focus. Because we're just seeing the alternative. The alternative is exactly what we're watching week after week after week. And um, it it doesn't work.
0: Well, it doesn't doesn't help that all of that. I mean, they had 12 sacks through two games. Obviously, the competition level was different. And only two since, like you mentioned. But that also coincides with Jacob Slade being out. The guy who collapses the pocket from the middle the most. Um, You know, I think Simeon Barrow's done that a, a little bit at times. I think Derek Harmon's done that at times. Um, I think Maverick Hansen's done that at times, but I also know that all three of those guys have been banged up and out of the games at times. And you don't have Jeff Petrosky opposite Winman, You don't have Chris Bogle opposite Winman, So now you got two, two sets of eyes focused on Jacoby Winman, who was giving you the the best pass rush. um, And and one of the, you know, in those two games that to start the year uh, of, you know, it looked like he was almost on a Julian Peterson type track in terms of a pass rusher coming off the edge but when he's your, he's the central focus because now you lose Slade in the middle you lose the uh, the defensive ends you've got banged up guys everywhere across that defensive line that that makes it tough to get home too um you know it's you know it is it, when we say and really when the coaches also say that the, the problems are all encompassing you, you, that's all you got to look at that on the defense as well um you know the pass coverage has been an issue for all 26 games of this staff's tenure uh but the pass rush um you know has at times i mean it was good last year might not have got home as much as they needed in or in terms of pressures but they sack guys and this this group right now because of the injuries and everything else um you know just you know, it's a, it's a struggle, and it's kind of painful to watch because, you know, even if you do throw a blitzer at them, you know, I mean, what's being blocked up front? I mean, you know, you're seeing a lot of freshmen, redshirt freshmen, depth guys like Michael Fletcher um, that hasn't played a lot of football trying to create a pass rush. And, you know, against bigger Big Ten offensive lines, that's that's a difficulty. Um, There's a reason they weren't playing behind those guys a lot. But now with the injuries, they're required to. So, I mean, it is... It, it, it is a mix of things all happening at once that I think has kind of led to this. I mean, it obviously started with the the injuries to Snow and Henderson, but it's been beyond that for the defensive side.
2: The amount of injuries Michigan State has encountered, especially on the defensive side over the past year and a half, if not two years, if not more, just seems uh, – I mean, I don't listen to every, a cultural podcast of every other team in cultural ball – but it seems like the Spartans have had way more injuries than a quote-unquote normal college football team has had. I mean, is there anything we can attribute that to? I don't, I don't know. I'm just trying to grasp a straws here because I would say the luck that the Spartans have had in that department over the past year and a half seems seems very unnatural.
1: Well, I think you see it everywhere. I think we just focus on yeah. the teams that are in front of us. And right. they have not recruited the depth yet to uh, withstand it. Um, you know, and, and that's... When when I thought they were going to be better defensively with depth, I I didn't necessarily think they were going to be better yet with star depth. And and the guys they lost, you know, I don't know if there were three worse guys to lose than Slade Henderson and Snow. You know, that's
0: right down the middle of your defense.
1: Yeah, that and those they didn't have guys to replace those guys. And and look, I'm that's not an excuse. Eventually, you your program, you should be recruiting to a level where the guy who comes in might be younger, but it's just as talented, you know, and it's just in, and, or, or your backup is dang near as capable. They're just not, they're just not there. Um, the, the thing for me that gets interesting this week, is I, like I really think MSU, I mean, people say they don't have an identity. Well, they, they do. The, the identity is just, they can't do anything like they, they're, they're <laughs> yeah. a stiff on defense and offensively. They, they lose in the line of scrimmage. And, um, but they need a positive identity, and if it's going to happen this year, I I really believe it's 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 going to be in their playmakers. Um, because I I don't know that. I don't know that there's anywhere else they even have a potential advantage enough to hang a hat. You know, I think it's going to be their offensive playmakers, and the only way that can happen though, I've never seen a functional offense where the offensive line didn't do something adequately. And so, what you know, you go back to that 2017 team that went, you know, um, ten and three or whatever. They they couldn't push a lawnmower, but they could. They protected Brian Lewerke most of the year. They created some creases. They were real good at sealing the outside. And L.J. Scott and Lewerke and guys would get around. And they did a couple things well enough. This offensive line to this point doesn't do anything well enough consistently enough to give those guys a chance. They they've got to do something well enough to give MSU's um to give MSU's offensive playmakers a chance. Because I, I think they MSU does have guys that you know the Jaden Reed, Trey Mosley's, Keon Coleman's, Daniel Barker's, Jalen Berger, Elijah Collins. Like that that group is good enough to cause problems for defenses if they've got a chance.
0: I mean, if we want to talk about that, I mean where are the offensive line recruits that Mel Tucker's brought in? I mean, because we can talk about, you know, Mark D'Antonio's struggles uh, to recruit on the offensive line towards the end of his career, so you don't have necessarily the veterans, but I mean, guys like Kevin Jarvis and you know, uh, J.D. DuPlain and Nick Samak and all those guys the last few years played early and they played with good players. You know, it wasn't like they were just guys you know at the the 15 16 you know 17 year that were just out there I and mean, they, they, they they got in a mix with some veterans and early in their careers but we haven't seen any of the young guys in the 20 class the 21 class or the 22 class really I think Spencer Brown I think was part of the last Antonio class and he started at, at right tackle but where are the 21 guys I mean yeah, where's, where's the Gino, you where's Gino vandemark and Kevin Wigginton and you know, Dallas Fincher and those guys that, that are in that group, you know, even this group now with Ashton Lepo and, you know, Christian Phillips and all the other names that you can just throw out there. I mean, Baldwin. these guys, these guys, I mean, well, Baldwin was a Juco guy and, you know, he's always been a project because he was a, a basketball player turned football. But, um, you know, it, it Baldwin has, he got the start the first week and then fell out of the rotation. Yep. And that was the staff, too. So, I mean, it's not just, you know, people want to point to D'Antonio the finger at D'Antonio's staff. But, you know, D'Antonio also, when guys were supremely talented and better than the the younger, the older guys, put young offensive linemen up there right away. I mean, you know, Brian Allen played as a freshman. Um, you know, the Jarvis played as a freshman. And, you know, the, we're not seeing that from this group. And they've really stuck to those that six-man rotation. You know, at some point, if if it's not working— you know, what exactly is going on with the guys behind them that they're not I, developing? I, think, I mean, that's, that's, that's gotta be a question to be asked.
1: No, I think, and I think it's a huge concern, Chris, because, you know, some of those veterans are going to be gone up there this year. Right. And the young guy, like, I, I think this team is two years away from things getting better the way it looks right now. Like there's nothing, you, it, it is nearly impossible to look at this roster right now and say that team next year will be better. Um, you know, and, and maybe some young guys here and there, there's some talent that that, w- that we're not noticing that will develop and, 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 and could be wrong a little bit. But um, it's a couple years uh, at this point, unless they really strike gold a couple places in the, in the portal. And that, as we're seeing, that's hard to do. Well, you, you don't get offensive linemen who are happy places. You, know, you can go get Logan Brown from Wisconsin, former four-star kid, has been a bit of a bust there, or lost his starting spot. But maybe he can resurrect his career, Michigan kid. Like – you can go get that guy, but he's not starting at Wisconsin. And don't get me wrong. Wisconsin recruits office. He's, well.
0: he's also not on Wisconsin's roster anymore as of today.
1: Right. And so like you, like, those are all, um, you know, there, there's just, there's, you're not, you're not getting a, an athlete that doesn't have some dings to him and not somebody that doesn't have some red flags here and there. doesn't have something that's failed. And, um, I, I don't know. I, it, it's You, you know, know what Mark D'Antonio did there. really
0: – what Mark D'Antonio, I think, did really well um, and his staff is – and this not towards the end, but I think before that, you saw them – they weren't getting those four- and five-star offensive linemen, but they had projectable guys um, that were they were able to bring in and, and mold into what their idea and identity is – was for his program for an offensive lineman, which I think helped get some of those guys – that early playing time, um, you know, you would think that watching, you know, the the final remnants of that, and that maybe that speaks volumes too. That that the guys that are playing are Mark D'Antonio's final couple classes right now. Um, you know, if, if you're a, a new coach and you want to get your guys soaked, particularly now in a four game losing streak, and you need to make some changes, you know, where are your guys on the line? you know, where are those red shirt freshmen and true freshmen? Um, because they've been saying that these guys are going to be cornerstones for this program, right. but and, well, and I understand, an believe me, up. I understand that that's the hardest position to make yep. that kind of leap right away. Usually it's sophomore, junior, senior year. So three, four, and five uh, in a normal clock where these guys come on and, and make an impact and, and the depth,
1: but. Um, well, here's, you know, here's the other the, thing, Chris, though, like I, I, if, if, it, it, and redshirt freshmen is one thing, you know. Um, and there are a couple guys I'm, I'm curious about there. But true freshmen, at this point, I can't imagine not – I can't imagine wasting a redshirt. And so it'll be very curious to see when you get to November at Illinois, like if if some true freshmen start to see the field. Because at that point, guys who haven't played are, are, are guys who can still keep that year. And when you talk about – wanting to build an offensive line over time, ideally you'd have guys who wound up being fifth year seniors at some point. And so um, I I will be very curious to see that particular game. Like what, you know, we talk about the four games the other way in terms of not losing eligibility and guys transferring out the four games with four games left creates an opportunity for guys you haven't played yet and, and you don't want to burn that year. So but you uh, also
0: that, might that, be in that situation at four games with four game with four games left that you're out of bowl contention too. So if right. you got if you've got younger guys that you're saying are best guys are gonna play and they're already better than some of the older guys, you can't wait. You gotta well, you can't yeah, but worry yeah, you about could, the edge.
1: Because because what you're trying to build is bigger than this year. I well then you're
0: think, then you're saying getting to a bowl game isn't important.
1: It's well it's not as important as a fifth year for these guys, I don't believe. That's I don't fair. I don't believe getting to the the uh Mayo J V bowl is the Duke uh, Mayo JV bowl or whatever it is, or
2: <laughs> you got it. You got a hundred percent. No fact checking.
1: Good. Good. Um, is anywhere near as important as in four years when you're hoping to be competing with Ohio state, having a fifth year offensive lineman that y- you don't want that year to be like, boy, would have been nice to have those two guys, but we use that eligibility to get to try to make a bowl game and and now the flip side of this, Chris, is is you you don't it doesn't matter what four games you played him. I mean Michigan right. State had to do that once with uh who was the corner, was it uh, uh Desai Scott, right? Don't
0: don't even go into that. Look at look at um look at Alex Van Summer right now. I mean Alex Van yeah. Summer has played a lot of snaps, but you know, I you know, he's been well, he hasn't been playing lately.
1: Right. And so right, you, you could say, look, hey, uh, this guy is the best guy right now. We're trying to get something out of this year. And if we win enough to be playing for something, then we'll keep playing them. If we lose those games, we'll just sit them at the end. You could do that too. I mean, there's a lot of ways to go about it. Um, and uh, But 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 to me, like, you know, Wisconsin, I mean, you got this, then you get a buy, but it's still at Michigan. Like, to me, getting a guy ready to go for November seems uh, a little more reasonable than throwing them out at the big house. Um, yeah. even if Vince, you get the bi-week going to other, the bi-week bye, bye creates opportunities though. It really does. And so, you know, that wouldn't be, um, that would not be a bad week to, yeah. and it, look, the other thing is if somebody's your, the, the thing with young guys is there's, there's two ways to look at it, right? There's this isn't working. We've got some young guys who look like they may be ready. We need to take a look at them. And then there's the, Boy, this young guy is actually one of our best five linemen. Those are two different things. And I think if he, I think they're better, one of your best five linemen, the whole team can see that. You, you got to put him in there. I think if it's one of those things where they might be ready, we need to take a look at them. That's one of those things you go, let's, let's, let's do that November 5th in, in, in Champaign.
0: Alex Van Summer, by the way, has played in four games and not since the Minnesota game.
1: Yeah. So there you go. So That's, could be, that could be, could also could be an injury situation yeah, too. yep. Yeah. Sounds like a good question for Monday.
2: <laughs> I, I have a great segue from the injuries, but I wanted to. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to ruin that by throwing this down out here. I might be off by one or two each way here, but I think I saw a stat this week where since Mel Tucker joined, or joined since he became Michigan State's head coach, uh, 55 players have entered the transfer portal, and only five of those players ended up on Power Five programs. So I, f- I find that is an interesting note, both for you know recruiting, both for on De Antonio's side and at the beginning or or the middle, I guess, too, of, of Mel Tucker's tenure.
1: There needs to be better data overall on transfers, period, because uh, the percentages, you know, I mean, obviously, individually, each kid's looking for their own spot, and there are examples where it really works out. But the odds are against you. The odds are the grass won't be greener. The odds is that you might get left out in the cold. The odds, well, you won't find your better school. Um, I mean, you know, again, this is the argument against the immediate transfer, which um, – I am somewhat against, I, I think there should be more parameters to it. Uh, is that because kids make dumb decisions and people can say, well, they should be able to make a uh, dumb decisions. That's life. Well, not if you can prevent it. <laughs> like if people say, well, they can do it in volleyball. Well, don't let them in volleyball. Don't let those kids make dumb decisions. Like I, I don't really understand why people have to have the ability to play right away. I, I did. I agree. Like if a coach leaves, if the circumstances change, I think there are obvious circumstances. But I, I wouldn't. I think. I think the whole. I think kids would be better off. I think the sports would be better off if if that didn't exist. If, yeah, it, it,
0: it's also you know I think there's some you know you got to understand that that most of those power five schools are taking a different type of recruiting mentality when it comes to the portal. In most cases, most of them are have their scholarships tied up either in guys that have been in their programs for 60 years now with COVID um, or they're tied up with future recruits or whatever it might be. Um, you know, there's no, I mean, look, I'm looking at it right now. We could say anything you want about the group of five teams, but Cincinnati had more players in the NFL right now than Michigan State. Michigan State's tied with Temple. So what exactly are we talking about? I mean, if you're talking about talent, talent's everywhere guys go under the radar guys make differences when they make different changes and and get to a different place. I I think that's kind of, it is important. I think in some ways to say that, you know, that, well, these guys aren't exactly going to a better place, but what's going to end up being their ultimate future. Maybe they end up because they're getting more snaps, getting more reps, becoming a, an NFL player, but the odds are low, but that doesn't you know necessarily mean again, You know, that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad players. And it definitely doesn't mean that that depth, particularly ingrained depth of being in a program for three years, four years, five years, whatever it may be. That kind of depth sometimes is better to have than bringing in guys who are, you know, switching programs for a year or two years. And they're so they're behind on that learning curve sometimes. I mean, but again, we're learning all this stuff in real time with the portal. Because we're starting to just, I mean, quite honestly, you know, Mel, Mel Tucker talked about having his Zoom babies, but you know, I think the portal started in what 2018, so we're starting to see just you're starting to get basically one college cycle full of data for it. So
1: yeah, and and we've got a, I mean, and and I always sound like the guy defensemen majors because I covered them, but I grew up around here and didn't really have a sense of things either. And people always go, oh, "That guy's a Matt quarterback." That guy's a, Mac. you know, Western Michigan has got ten guys in the NFL right now. I'm not sure Michigan State has 10 active NFL players.
0: North Dakota right State now. does and that's an FCS school.
1: Yeah, so like it's not, you know, it it's, it's there are a lot of really good players everywhere um and yes. what happens is if you're if you're a kid who gets benched at a school like Michigan State that's not winning tremendously like why would anybody look at you and go that's the answer is a high major place you know chances are you do need to find a different level. Uh, Michigan State is not playing above Power Five schools, to the point right now. Other Power Five schools that where their leftovers are somebody else's treasure. You know what I mean? It's just not going to be uh, the way it the way it often is.
2: Yeah, and like Rocky Lombardi found his level at Northern Illinois when he led him to a to a MAC championship. Per-
1: perfect fit too. Yeah. Like that's a place that you know runs the quarterback. needs a power running quarterback. Has had that a lot. Uh, I mean, Rocky Lombardi in Northern Illinois. Those are like if you were to put a, a, a if you. Like next, you know, a, a symbol in the dictionary of Northern Illinois football, it's like Joe Novak and Rocky Lombardi. Like those are the two. that's it, that's it.
2: So, sorry, Jordan Lynch and Chandler Harnish. You guys don't get the uh, you guys don't get the next. You guys don't get photos of NIU football.
1: Hey, hey man, the the Mac
0: produces NFL quarterbacks. I'm not saying it has anything to do with Rocky Lombardi, but I mean, you know, the Mac puts guys in the league, lots of guys in the league. If that's the barometer, you know. That's, I mean, that's still there, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, there are guys coming from every, every division that, you know, I think you said, I, I point back to Mel Tucker having the two starting safeties likely this week be in division two transfers. And he talked about that extensively throughout his tenure of how he found them. And, you know, a lot of film study and how an organization is, in, in their speak looks for guys to fit in certain roles and that's, you know, what you do that at the pro level, um, and you, you know, that's what they're trying to do, uh, right now with MSU and in how they've used the transfer portal. Um, but there's also the, the, the question, the difference of there's a finite period of time, uh, in college, right? I mean, you know, outside of the COVID situation, there's five years, you got four or five years to play basically four years to play. Um, so, you're going to be moving on to the next thing. The NFL is different. That's a week-to-week thing, and, you know, guys could be in and out. They could find, you know, the coaching staff shakeup could happen a lot sooner in the NFL than it could at the the college level. So then you've got guys who had roles with one staff, don't have them with another, and maybe they don't land somewhere. There's just a lot of parameters, I think, that go into that. But but I think that you can find talent anywhere, uh, particularly if you're looking – to to address areas of need. And I think that's why they brought in guys like Kendall Brooks and Justin White. I think White may have predated uh, Tucker's hiring a little bit, um, but obviously earned a pretty significant role and, and trust in the coaches last year to play on special teams and then go in the Michigan game. And Brooks obviously now has kind of taken that that role that Xavier Henderson had and, and, uh, and you know kind of shown that he's a heavy hitter and a hard tackler. So, um, you can find that talent anywhere, but you know, that's, you know, it, it, you know, that's, that's a tough thing to do though. That's a tough thing is to find that talent, uh, at that level.
2: Well, we've previously in this podcast talked about injuries and quarterbacks. So let's just combine those into one discussion here on MSU QB Peyton Thorne, who admitted earlier this week that he has not been a hundred percent since week one, but I don't think he disclosed exactly what the injuries were. Um, Graham, is this, is this something you had known beforehand or had heard whispers or anything like that or even noticed with your, you know, just watching games?
0: Why don't I start with that? Because okay. I'm the one who actually asked him the All question. Right. All right, well. Um, You know, I asked him because he's been diminishingly used in the run game. And, and I asked him, I said, is this something that is by design? Is it something that you're just trying to pick and choose your spots a little better, particularly after the the game against... uh?" western michigan where he slid late and and took that big hit um I, I said are you seeing fewer running lanes or opportunities and he basically just offered it up there that he hasn't been 100 percent since week one that's a direct quote my body hasn't necessarily been 100 percent since week one so my running has not been the same as it always is so So if your running is not the same, and you're a mobile quarterback like that, then what other areas is it affecting? I mean, is it just your speed and agility? Is it your legs? And how does if it's your legs, how does that affect your pocket presence, your throwing ability, uh, your ability to just get out of out of traffic and scramble and throw on the run? So there, I mean, there's a lot of questions I think that come with that.
1: He also though said that you know he's good enough to do everything he's supposed to do and play at the level he needs to play at. Um, so now he may just say that cause if you're not, then you shouldn't be out there, but, but you're right. I mean, it does. One of the elements that makes Peyton Thorne, um, potentially a good quarterback is his legs, right? I mean, he's got, he's a mobile quarterback. He's a guy who can hurt you with his legs. And, and we've still seen him on the run. Um, but that, that sort of element, if that's limited, that, that's noteworthy. It's one less yeah. thing. Um, it's I mean, if you have.
0: if you take out the sacks last year, I think he was sacked twenty-one times. Take those out. He was the second leading rusher behind Kenneth Walker, more more yards than Jordan Simmons at that
1: point. Yeah, and I mean, I do, you know, I do wish we would. When is college football going to get rid of sack yardage? Because right? it, to, it, it leads to things it, yes. like, I mean, and, and yes, and I and I and I love I love Jack Ebeling, but like it leads to exaggerated stats. Like so, last week he asked in the post game press conference. About you know only having seven yards rushing, and they didn't. Yep. You don't need the exaggeration because they only had about thirty yards of their running backs. But but like let, let's not say it's that when it's the sacks. That's a pass rush issue. It, it drives me nuts that that's a thing in college football, and we need to keep track of that stat better. And if if they're not going to keep it for us the way we write it, you should never include when you're writing total rushing the sack yardage. Right that's not really rushing yardage and and so anyway it's
0: that, and that's considering especially consider well no i agree with you because especially considering oftentimes that's a pass play
1: yeah
0: you're getting sacked obviously you're going back to drop back to throw i completely yep. i'm 100 percent with you the nfl handles it properly you know totally. but but and you're right the rushing totals haven't been great even if you take the eight sacks out in the last four games
1: right right it just makes it a little more fair to the to what's really what's really happening out there um I, I will be curious this week to see if they do finally give Elijah Collins a little more run. You know, they said before last week that they were, and then they didn't. But, you t- again, it's Ohio State. You're behind quickly. The whole game is not the game plan you probably want to run. This week should be different. This should be a game where you can run your game plan, where you you have a chance to, uh, you know, dictate what you want to do a little bit more and, and so – or at least live by it. And, and um, you know, the evidence is that, you know, both from – people talking and uh and from what we're seeing on the the field is that he, he's maybe the best running back they have right now and uh you know and what's also interesting is you know talking about thorn and having a conversation about the offensive line because one of the things i'm just trying to get them to address and mel tucker kind of talked around it and Thorne tried to I mean, the bottom line is they know it. Like you can't run offense without an offensive line that wins at something, right. and they don't have it. So what are you going to do? And there's nothing you can do. They're, they're like they're not going to sit there and go, no, we're we're kind of screwed. That's that's it. But one thing Thorne talked about, and he was very seemed adamant at this particular point, which I thought found interesting. He's, you know, sometimes the holes are there, and the running backs just miss them. And he kind of hung on that. And you got to say, I mean, it was very clear that's happened a number of times this year. And um, I I found that, which is
0: fast, which is fascinating, considering that the two guys that have been brought in at running back were the transfer guys who were Mel Tucker's evaluation, his staff's evaluation. On
1: well, but yeah, right. I mean, and
0: and Elijah Collins, we're seeing running off tackle, running behind his linemen, running over guys, you pushing the pile. um, And he's the Mark Antonio guy. So, you know, I mean, again, it doesn't matter who recruited who at this point, but. You know, if, you know, it's still the same staff that evaluated Kenneth Walker minus William Pegler. Yeah. Right.
2: So A couple of things about that. Uh, Kenneth Walker's touchdown run, uh, Sunday for the Seahawks was also a reminder of, uh, what the Spartans has sorely missed from last year. And second, like this is a year where they probably, I mean, they didn't need him last year, but they probably could have used Audric Estime's uh, initial commitment to the Spartans and, you know, maybe filled a spot this year. I know he's playing quite a bit for Notre Dame this year, but, uh, I digress. I digress.
0: Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't even look at any of those things. I think in, in, in going back to the offensive line, Kevin Jarvis's decision to tour bypasses last year and, and not come back and turn pro. And then he latched on with the lions and then got hurt. I think he's on the IR last I saw, but, but Kevin Jarvis on this offensive line would have helped a lot. I think, because, you know, you get a couple more guys and he was versatile enough to bounce outside or inside during his career um a lot out of necessity you know but you know maybe he would have been a guy that could have helped the tackle spots just by being next to him or been one of the tackles and helped the guard next to him so you know this was one of those guys like him and i think michael dowell who ended up i think at miami of ohio you know michael dowell versus you know some of the guys that they've had to run through at the safety spot he was a smart enough guy that could have and talented enough guy that could have been an important piece. So when you talk about guys that are leaving the program, you also have to look at those kind of guys as well that, you know, four or five year guys that could be impactful players had they still been there.
2: Uh, I got one more question slash comment before we get to our predictions here. Um, going back to Peyton Thorne here, I know on previous podcasts, I think all three of us were in agreement that, uh, there under no circumstances should Peyton Thorne ever ever be benched or or whatnot. Um,
1: do we feel well, like I mean, so do we is it under no circumstances? I don't think anybody said no. Yeah. I don't.
2: Well, I, well, let me rephrase. I said we didn't think there would be a situation where he did get benched. Maybe maybe is that's maybe a little a little better phrase. But now that we've you know encountered this losing streak here for the Spartans, uh, do you think at some point here it may be worth you know giving Noah Kim a, a lengthy shot and set in, besides a uh, scrub duty in the fourth quarter?
1: Like I'm, I'm as intrigued by Noah Kim as the next person. I really am. I mean, I, yeah, like he comes in. And he, he had a couple drives that didn't go great against Ohio State, but he's come in and, and against defenses that were uh, more forgiving, playing in late mop-up duty, and he, yeah. he's he's been he's been good And the circumstances um, that he's been allowed to produce in. Very different circumstances than what Peyton Thorn has played in, and, and and I'm a believer that. Like If he was the better quarterback in practice, that that move would be made. I don't think Mel Tucker's an overly sentimental guy. I think, and obviously there's leadership components and, and who Peyton Thorne is to the team. But if if I think if the coaches thought that he gave them a better chance to win, that said, we have seen at Michigan State throughout history coaches who didn't necessarily understand what they were looking at at the quarterback position <laughs> – with uh, Andrew Maxwell and the Connor Cook thing, and, and Connor Cook developed later, but uh, you know they were very adamant that Con- that Maxwell won that battle decisively, right? And it they struggled to evaluate quarterbacks in practice, and sometimes gamers are gamers, and I just I just think that w- what if you were to reverse those situations where Thorne came in at the end with you know against backups, yeah, who aren't blitzing or playing zone cover and you know whatever, and just. I think he'd look pretty good, too. Um, I don't know if that's a fair analysis. Everybody loves the backup quarterback. I I just also think their their offensive line has been so bad. Um, I mean, that third quarter was incredible. You you know what no one one wants to talk about?
0: No one wants to talk about the fact that when Noah Kim is getting his snaps and getting his reps, he's playing behind the first-team offensive line against second- and third-stringers on the defense. So... You can say that all you want about Noah Kim, but when it's ones versus ones, and I'm imagining the coaching staff sees that on a daily basis when they throw him out there uh, to get the reps that he gets, um, it to me, if you got a banged up starting quarterback, that you know, if there wasn't a significant drop off, I think he would have been in there already.
1: And yeah. again, this is you know, I mean, I would not be stunned if you know if there was a game where. Um, Peyton Thorne struggled mightily uh, again and he's had a g- games like that where if they if that happened I wouldn't be stunned by it at this point either yeah um but I think circumstances have to it, it needs to be a game where there is time to operate and Peyton Thorne is the problem like Peyton Thorne against Akron if I'm getting the games right especially was really off target with with enough time to throw quite a bit you know and like that now, some of it was where receivers were, and some of that was the key Coleman sort of figuring out his own, where he's supposed to be and all that stuff. But, um, I, some of that also
0: were the two big hits that he took on blitzes in that game as well. One of them on a flea flicker.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, and, that's no, the
0: one and that's the one that knocked him out of that game. One of them. Right, but the he, should, he, he shouldn't him out have of he that game.
1: thrown that ball. And that's a decision process. And decisions are part of, of things, but yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be stunned if it happened at some point. I do not think it Thorn has gotten a, a, a truly fair shake. Do I think he's become the quarterback who, thus far, has been able to elevate a team? I do not, but I just don't know. Like I would, there are a few things I would not kill to see, but I would uh, I would maim somebody to see. Okay. I would <laughs> I would love to see Trey Waynes and Darqueze Denard play corner with everything else the same on this MSU's defense, mm. and see what it looked like. 'Cause I think people would be like, oh my God. <laughs> like, they're not that good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just not corners can only do so much. Yeah. And I would love to see CJ Stroud play quarterback with all the dynamics that Thorne has faced. And people Ooh. would be like, Oh my God, he's not that good. I, I just think that would those two realities would, would, would be telling.
2: Hmm. I wonder if that'd be the case for Stroud, but um so a hypothetical here, was it 2 years ago or 3 years ago when the went 5 for 25 against Michigan would that be the type of performance that would be like hmm, maybe we should take a look at Noah Kim?
1: Y- yes, uh, yeah. I mean he just can't be, he can't be missing he can't be the reason they're missing opportunities. Like he was bad at the end of the Maryland game, I think he was frustrated. He's been, bad. He's been not good a couple times, but I think ultimately if if the other things are are, are there to give you a chance, he's got to be able to take advantage of it. And I don't think they were there last week. I think when they were, they did okay for a little in bits and pieces. Yeah. And so, if, if the other components are there, if the offensive line is doing enough, then it's up to Peyton Thorne to get these playmakers the ball and get it working. And if he's not, then absolutely, it's fair. Yeah,
0: I, I think I think before you do that, um, before you make, I mean, you, 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 there needs to be kind of that line in the sand. Like if you start with two, three, four, three and outs again. um, Maybe you just need to make that change. Um, You know, whether it be momentary or, you know, for just that game or just that half or whatever it is, right? Um, You know, I think about that that Northwestern game. It was Lewerke's first start. Uh, They benched Tyler O'Connor, I think, in that game. Was it Tyler O'Connor that started that game? The Lewerke? Yeah. And, you know, Lewerke they pull him and O'Connor comes in the second half and just lights it up. And all of a sudden turns into a track meet. Um, You know, and you know, sometimes it could spark the other guy. Uh, Maybe that's a momentary thing as well as we saw with, with O'Connor that year. But you know, when you need to win, win win games, I mean, I don't know if anything is off the table uh, in terms of making changes. I don't think, I think when you're in, in the middle of a losing streak like that, you have to, you know, sometimes you have to defy your own logic and, and see if, if, You have something somewhere else that can just provide a spark, but I don't think. I also don't think it's necessarily, uh, with the quarterback position, a fair thing just based on what we've seen from Kim behind number one offensive line with with against second and third stringers to say that that's there right now.
2: Well, I will offer uh, a just a small small slash slightly contrarian taking that. I know they can still get to a bowl game or whatever, but I still feel like in some respects this is already a pretty lost season, so uh I don't think it'd be the worst thing to, you know, maybe roll him out for for a little bit and just see what happens, see if he does provide that spark. But
0: that's just still, that's just you could say that. You could say that, but And if he doesn't, then you go back to Thor. I mean Yeah,
1: but it's not it's easier said than you, done.
0: Dude. If you're set if you do that and you're saying that with two home games left, what are you sure. telling the fan base too? I mean that that I know that that shouldn't factor in, but certainly if you're saying that the season's a wash, the other component that we need to think about too is who's Tucker's quarterback because Noah Kim isn't it. He brought in Caton Hauser. He also brought in Ham Fay, who we haven't seen in uniform yet this season. Um but Caton Hauser is the one that they think could be the future of the program. So are you going to turn the ball over to Noah Kim at this point and risk losing Peyton or Caton Hauser? Because if, let's say Noah Kim has some moderate success and leads a win over Wisconsin or leads a win at Illinois, I mean, do you wait till four games are left and then say, the ball's yours, Kate and Howes, you you're you aren't going to lose a year of eligibility, show us what you can do. I mean, that's a real world situation with the transfer portal now that you don't want to lose a guy that you believe as a staff is the future of
1: that position. Well, I, I think you also have to, I mean, there needs to be proper spacing in your QB classes. I think the days of having four guys in the program are over. If you have three and it's done right, it can kind of work. But, um, and, and, you know, as long as you make it clear to, you know, to to, to, to Hauser that, you know, he'll have a chance to compete for the job no matter what happens. Uh, Cause he'll have to compete for it anywhere. I, I don't know that that would be a tremendous issue. The thing about quarterbacks, those coaches don't get to pick them. Like it always plays out like, it, it, we we know this throughout Michigan You've State history. What's yeah. that?
0: You've said that historically.
1: Yeah, like historically, Michigan State has had a number of guys who are supposed to be the next guy, and it just has almost never been them. And so, and ultimately, it, the it, their, their play determines it. And, um, and but 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 I think there is something to that, like in the sense that you know one of the reasons that the coaching staff at Michigan State years ago wanted Andrew Maxwell to win that job so badly in two thousand thirteen is they wanted to come back with a true three-way competition in 2014 between Cook and Tyler O'Connor and Damian Terry. Instead, Cook became the guy, and those other two guys kind of sat around for two years and never really developed. And so there, there, there's absolutely, you know, I'm sure the staff would prefer, like I don't know what Peyton Thorne will do after this year. I mean, he's got another another year to, to come back. Who knows what he'll do. Maybe he'll play he's for his dad two, next year.
0: He's got two oh, more years left with the COVID. Two more news. years if
1: he wants it. And you know, although his, who knows if his – everybody talks about him playing for his dad next year. I don't know if you saw Western Michigan just lost to Eastern Michigan by a boatload in Kalamazoo, and, and Tim Lester baby, feeling some heat. they got a fairly new AD. Who knows? So um, – but I I do if – you're, if you're that staff, you probably don't want anything to go wrong with Thorne because you want the next guy's – to play it out sort of evenly. and um, But that said, the best quarterback will win. I mean, if, if, if Noah Kim comes in and he's an adequate quarterback and what's still a bad season, that's not going to stop Katen Hauser if he's good enough for competing for that job in a year. And I don't think Mel Tucker doesn't seem like a sentimental guy or a guy who'll be stuck on one guy or a guy who can't get past that. I don't know that that will matter a ton uh, unless he comes in and truly lights it up, and then that would be a, a problem you'd like to have.
0: I can tell you as a Steelers fan for the, pretty much the entirety of my life, no one, the fans love no one more than the backup quarterback, period. Doesn't matter if you have Terry Bradshaw, they love Cliff Stout and want to see him throw.
2: Well, let's uh, move on to predictions. Um, Graham, I'll have you go first. What do you think is going to happen? Does the losing streak continue or does Barnes figure things out in front of a raucous homecoming crowd?
1: I, I think it continues. I think I'm going to pick 31-22. Um, I think it'll be competitive, and the game won't be decided until the fourth quarter, but Wisconsin, it just, it feels like to me, like Wisconsin's roster is a little more seasoned throughout. Um, the the one thing that will be interesting is I, I do think this Wisconsin defense is as vulnerable a group as they've had in a little while. And so... MSU might be able to get something going, and really has to. I don't. I don't know if MSU can't get something going this week. Um, if it's going to happen for them uh, for a while, because <laughs> I don't think Michigan and Illinois are going to be any easier. So um, th- th- it need it needs to happen. But I take thirty-one twenty-two Wisconsin. Yeah,
0: I mean that's. I, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I think that Michigan State's kind of in that. I don't know, caged animal mindset or backed into a corner, however, whatever cliche you want to throw at it. Um I, I think that's, you know, that's this, this is it. This is the pivotal point of whether or not you have anything in December. I, I think that's ultimately the case. I think everybody kind of, you know, to say that you, you wouldn't think that in the middle of a four game losing streak, you know, you, you're, you're either delusional or, you know, head in the sand. Um But I, you know, I, I, I think Wisconsin, it's going to be interesting to see where their heads are at after a big win. Um, because sometimes you see that immediate bump with a coaching change. Um, can Jim Leonard continue it? I mean, he, this is a guy that's auditioning for a job right now. Um, you know, he's going to have them up and ready. So I think, I think I'm think i going to say uh, Wisconsin 28-24.
2: I said uh, after the Wisconsin loss, after I predicted they'd win by double figures uh, up in Pullman, that I wasn't going to pick the Spartans to win again until they actually did. And I am sticking with that. I think, uh, I think the Badgers will cover and win. I just need to see something from the Spartans until before I pick them to actually win a game. So, all right. Any final thoughts before we sign off
0: here?
1: Uh, no. I. You know, I... Uh... Uh, well, Graham, do you want to talk about our
0: trip to Minneapolis to Big Ten Media Day
1: for basketball? Uh, I, I, yeah, that's,
0: oh, that's I, right. Neither one of us made the trip.
1: Neither made the trip. Which, by the way, I, don't, I did not mind not making. I, I've uh, not, the Big Ten, <laughs> not the Big Ten. Not the Big Ten basketball media day isn't worth it for some people some years, and and this year yeah. for Michigan State, the season turned a little bit. There were five guys there. There was some good stuff, uh, but uh, MSU is a place where the access is usually phenomenal. Yeah, so you can talk to Izzo whenever you want. Um, and usually people's minds are still football heavy. And uh, to give that up to, to go to a hook story in mid October is rarely fu- fruitful. This year might have been an exception.
0: Yeah. And this wasn't my call, but at the same point, you know, it's somewhere down the line, you know, it, it, the next guy that follows Tom Izzo might change things. But, you know, the reason that Tom Izzo, is, you know, he puts his guys out there no matter what, um, you know, and he talks about stuff you know, once, sometimes twice, sometimes three times a week. So, you know, what, what many people heard in Minneapolis, we've heard for a couple of weeks already. So, you know, it's, it's big 10 media days have kind of changed into more of a daily TV event for BTN than they used to be anyways. So, um, kind of a little different thing, but, you know, we'll be back there at practice no matter when it, whenever they have it. So,
2: all right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, Freep.com, and on Twitter at Chris Alari, at Graham underscore couch, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green white. Thanks for listening.